0: All right, everybody. So today we have back on the podcast, Brandon DeCruz. How you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me back on.
0: So if anybody didn't catch the first podcast we had together, let's just get some background from you, you know, kind of how you got into this game and and what you do.
1: Yeah. So, all right. So I am a national level men's physique competitor. I am the national sales director of a sports nutrition company called uh, Nova Farm. Um, And also I'm an online nutrition coach. So I've spent the last 12 years doing fitness as a full-time profession, I uh, got into training in my early teens after having developed uh, an eating disorder, which essentially led me to a point where I really wanted to know more about nutrition and realize that fu- you know, food is fuel uh, rather than looking at food as like an enemy. So it took me down this large rabbit hole, as we've discussed in the past, where I just try to consume as much as possible. And Luckily, it was on the, in the age where forms were still prevalent. But it was kind of like the magazines were going the wayside and you were starting to get more into evidence base where we were able to be exposed to people like your Aaron Arians, your Lane Norton's, or your Lyle McDonald's, where they were promoting efficacious information that we were able to utilize and really build a foundation from. So, you know, I'm very fortunate in that, instant, or in that instance that I was around well-educated individuals where I was able to consume content that had, you know, a good fundamental base to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man, I mean, I see you post all the time. And it, it it always amazes me when I see the people who, you know, this is like your full time gig, right? So like, you obviously like work your butt off. And I see the effort that goes into that. And sometimes like, I'll read your posts. And I'm like, I think you just had one today that you tagged me in, and mm-hmm. I was just reading through it. And there's definitely something to be said for being able to continually say a lot of the same things. And the reality is that's any profession, right? Like, I think from my perspective, it's like, oh, man, I wouldn't want to make the same video like five, ten times. Right. Um, like Omar Yusof, he's made, you know, like how to grow your back wider 20 times. Right. But this is his full time gig. So there's going to be new subscribers who haven't seen it and, you know, new people who maybe have forgotten about it, whatever. And kind of the same thing with you, where like you are putting this content out there, but you constantly will have new followers. So it makes sense because I do it kind of as like a side thing, a hobby obviously like fitness isn't just a hobby for me. I've been, you know, very into it since I was 12 years old. But as far as like the podcast and the posts and everything, it's just very different where I'm like, well, I made a post about this last year. Like, I don't want to do the same thing. But if I think back to like my actual job, it's like, well, yeah, I'm doing the same procedures all day long, right? And like every week in, week out. So it's just interesting to see like, to have that appreciation for that grind that you have to go through when it's really like your full-time gig.
1: Without a doubt. So anything in life, like you said, whether it's being a dentist in your professional career or being an online coach, as well as a sports nutrition, uh, national sales manager, there is something that you said about repetition because you are being exposed to a new genre of people, or you are having new followers, you know, come into your network, or even in the case in my, my own daytime profession, I'm constantly acquiring new accounts and reeducating them or essentially introducing them to the products that I sell, the, the ingredients and things that they might not be as familiar with as the people I speak to on a daily basis. So the best people within business um, or within fitness, especially if we want to look at it as a niche uh, demographic, they have to say the same things over and over again. So if we look at someone like Jordan Syed, who was Gary V's trainer... I can't tell you how many times I've heard that little man scream about a calorie (laughs) deficit. And to me it's redundant because I am a fitness professional because I am into it. But at the same time, seeing someone that's as successful as him do things repetitively, it's reinforced to me the need to not only put out new content because I believe that you should be continuing to evolve not only your own education base, but what you provide your followers, your clients, your accounts, your friends, anyone within your, your network. But it's also reminded me that just because I made this post a year ago doesn't mean that someone's going to find it. You know, We know that the algorithm hides a lot of things. And at the same time, there's a lot of people that they're just starting their journey today. So if they don't get exposed within the next, say, 30 days to what I'm trying to preach, whether it be the um, importance of valuing calories in versus calories out, in conjunction with your hormones or the importance of refeeding or the importance of, um, you know, an educated and a smart dietary approach, or, you know, the utility of deloads or things of that sort within all spectrums of fitness, they may never get exposed to those things. And they might go, you know, a different direction where they're influenced by a follower or they're influenced by an influencer who just preaches garbage as we all see that. So it's, For me, it's, yeah, sometimes it's redundant and sometimes I'm like, do I really want to post about, you know, calories in versus calories out again, or how to track your macros more correctly, or, you know, the utility of a micronutrient rich rich diet, which I'll constantly like feel like I'm beating people over the head with, but I also have to realize that you don't know what you don't know. So just because this is something that's extremely um, prevalent or extremely um, well known to me doesn't mean that the the people that I interact with or that follow me are as familiar with the same concept. So it is it's almost like I, I kind of have a format, you know, in terms of my own posting. And it's like you know I'll put out more of a a quote post, which will be more of an educational post on a specific concept to really get it through people's mind. And then I'll do uh, you know a training based post and then a nutrition based post. But within that that three you know post algorithm that I'm using or that setup, I'm making sure that every one to two weeks, I'm doubling back to a concept that I find is really fundamental. So it could be nutritional periodization. It could be, um, you know, effective fat loss strategies. It could be uh, refeeds and diet breaks. And it's just re-educating because even within the span of two weeks, I might make 15 to 20 posts, so it'll get lost even in the feed. Sure. So it's just making sure that someone that is new is getting that fundamental experience or getting that fundamental knowledge and being exposed to those things. And then from there we can build up into it because I made the mistake early on and just diving into the nuances. And I used to have this really bad, you know, I've spoken about this on other podcasts, but I had have this bit, really bad habit of trying to speak to those on my level and speak to the professionals. So I wanted to impress you know, sure. someone like yourself that's well-educated, Or, you know, I would love to see, you know, Eric Helms, or, you know, I was just going back and forth with Dr. Ben House. And it's like, you know, we're speaking about each other's content, and there's a mutual respect there. But I have to realize Ben House knows everything he needs to know about nutrition and training. I'm not really adding to the equation. It's just giving him some additional food for thought but someone below our level who isn't as experienced who hasn't been in the trenches for a decade plus if i'm going at these high level concepts it's going right over their heads and it's not benefiting them whatsoever and they're becoming more frustrated by what they don't know than being educated by the the simple and fundamental basics that i could be you know exposing them to i think
0: that's probably one of the biggest differences i find with you know the content that i make because i don't make the content I mean i'll get into scientific details but not like anything crazy however i also don't enjoy to dump things down to like a super basic level like i'm not ever probably gonna make a video like how to squat or you know what is a calorie i mean maybe i mean who knows maybe i will in a like, couple of years and somebody's gonna like find this and be like hey you said you never do this but <laughs> but really it's just it's pretty boring to me and there's a million examples of it out there it's like you can find this and not that like every video i make Is some unique video that nobody's ever talked about before but like really like the way i make videos is like okay and i don't like i have a podcast every single week but i don't have an individual video every single week because there's not necessarily something that i want to talk about but when i make a video it's like oh this is like something that i'm thinking of and so like it's actually interesting for me to talk about like i don't know if you saw my um, instagram maybe two weeks ago so i had a comparison of my calves and that was actually something that like i wanted to talk about because i was like hey i've literally not trained this calf for an entire year i've continued to train this other calf as i have for the last 15 years no difference at all not at all like not even an eighth <laughs> of an inch and you know when then when i actually did start training it again again no difference Like it just didn't matter and so i'm like this is actually relevant this is actually something that like i would want to share to people but if i like i wouldn't make a post like say how to train calves you really want to go to the bottom and hold that stretch there to get rid of the stretch relief like it's just like that's all over so it's kind of boring for me but if this was something where i was like i need to reach as many people as possible and you know kind of kind of cater to the lowest common denominator i would and i i think that would make me enjoy it less and maybe even enjoy the entire endeavor less i'm not sure if you really ever experienced any burnout where it's so much of what you do that you actually enjoy it less overall
1: No, so absolutely. So I'm coming from from multiple aspects within that. So the reason I said I kind of have that format where I'll go through three posts and and it's kind of formatted in advance is because if I was to do any extreme it would it would be a detriment to not only my business but me as a, a fitness professional and someone that loves training and nutrition as a whole. So I never let myself go into different extremes. So on the one hand, I'm not gonna dumb down all my comment uh, all my content, just to be able to speak to a layperson and just to be able to try to bring a new audience to me because I don't think that's beneficial and I wouldn't enjoy that. If I had to do just you know a definition of what a calorie is on every single post that I made, it would just become so redundant that I wouldn't enjoy it anymore. And I wouldn't, that's, that's not speaking on something that I'm highly interested in. Right. So not only does it have to be looked at as like, you know, social media or your content or, or anything you do as part of your profession, but also as part of your passion. So with that, I do dive into nuance concepts. Like uh, a couple of months ago, I did a, a post on L-carnitine supplementation as uh, to upregulate your androgen receptors. And there were so many people that that went over their head that, weren't familiar with angen receptor density, uh, the benefits that can come from it, whether you're enhanced or non-enhanced. And so people were like, listen, I thought L-carnitine was for this. And, and they're right. Mitochondrial density. It's great for, uh, you know, mobilizing fatty acids to be used and burned off as energy. It's a transporter of fatty acids into the mitochondrial cell. But I was looking at a very nuanced and specific area that, the majority of people wouldn't be familiar with, but it was something I found interesting. And I did have that small you know, percentage of my, my audience that you know, they are more well-versed and more experienced where they found that really interesting that I linked some of the research behind that. And I realized, Hey, listen, not everything that I make has to be towards everyone. And also at the same time, although fitness is my full-time profession, not everything that I do on social media has to be conducive or has to be beneficial towards my career. Because if that was the case, we would do only things, you know, for business, you know, uh, endeavors, and nothing for our own personal passions and pursuits of just greater knowledge. So sometimes I learn something, and I'm a big believer that when you when you learn something new, you should try to share it and teach others because that's the easiest way to reinforce it within your own, you know, context of your own life. So a lot of times I'll find something out new, or I used to do uh, that. Honestly, they weren't popular. If I look at the algorithm, I look at my my engagement on them. You know, the basic posts always do better than you know, in terms of um, my actual feedback, then do the nuance post. But a lot of times, like if someone puts out a new study, whether it's Bill Campbell, or if I see James Krieger cover uh, something, and I feel like he's went so far into detail that it would lose a lot of the audience, I'll do a research review on that particular study, or just a study that I find extremely interesting, like the refeed study that Bill Campbell uh, released a few months back, I find found that extremely interesting. So I, you know, shared that, is it applicable to everyone? No. But I always try to at the end of my, my post or any uh, content that I put out, put something of applicability like this is how this would benefit you. And it, it doesn't mean it's going to benefit every single person. So I always provide context behind that. But at the same time, I'm not going to just stay in one realm or one lane where I just do content to try to attract clients because that isn't my biggest concern. Nor am I going to just speak to the high level people like yourself and other individuals and try to impress You know, the the high level professionals within this field, because I see so many content providers and I see so many fitness professionals that they do this really, really high level content and they think they're impressing, you know, the Renaissance periodizations of the world, your Mike Isratel, your Jared Feather, um, your Revive Stronger, things like that. And those guys aren't paying attention because if you really speak to any of those guys, they're in their own lane and, you know, they're producing their own content and they're using themselves as an end of one. So they're their own experiment and they're taking the research and applying it to themselves. And to their clients, but they're not worried about anyone else within the field. So that's really where I've, I've taken the kind of like the leadership or the example that they've set. And I've said, listen, I'm going to apply, you know, I'm going to put out content as I feel best fits myself and my audience, but also which, you know, content, which fulfills me.
0: Sure. So we talked a little bit about influencers. I don't know if this would qualify even as like an influencer, but uh, let's get your honest thoughts on my Dr. John Jaquish podcast.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. So uh, just a little context to it. Um, You know, I was not familiar with him as I I told you through when we were speaking on Instagram, I was not familiar with him before you had brought him on, but I said, listen, Dave has really intriguing conversations, usually pretty high level individuals. Uh, You do love getting into the nuance of things, which is why I'm a big fan of your, your podcast because it isn't low level, like low hanging fruit that you're talking about. It's diving into details. You usually have gotten a good understanding of what that person's about and you let them speak their thoughts. But at the same time, you take a critical perspective, which a lot of podcasters don't. A lot of times, you know, at least in my experience, what I've, you know, I'm a big podcast fan. I listen to a multitude of podcasts and I do a lot of traveling. So I'm plugged in with a podcast, usually like four to six hours a day. So wow. it's a lot of my entertainment. Um, but what I really notice, um, you know, and this is a compliment to yourself, is that a lot of podcasters, they, they, almost, see very, they almost seem very agreeable when they bring someone on and I understand why they do so they want to be able, they don't want to, you know, um, intimidate future, um, podcasts, you know, um, you know, invitees or people that would be on their podcast later on down the road. But at the same time, if you don't agree with something, it's not the end of the world. You guys can come to an agreement or you guys can speak your truths and hear each other out and then, you know, be able to debate things in an intellectual and uh, friendly manner. So when I heard, the podcast with uh john jacquish i was just he was making some very bold claims and it was something that most people tread lightly when they're they're making you know assumptions or they're making conclusions on things um but he was just like straight up like weightlifting's bullshit yeah right. and that's the, when i first heard that the initial part when i was hearing about his background you know obviously he's very intelligent he delivers himself well you could tell he's good with sales and i'm a national sales director so right. i can say that personally you could recognize it uh guys very articulate. He presents himself well. And even the product, he makes it sound really, really advantageous, not to weightlifting, but just as, you know, a contraction that you can use at home. But at the same time, some of his claims and just the way he went about things, it was kind of putting down, you know, you and I do in terms of being in the gym and then to lift up his own. And it's almost like the example, you ever like, you know, let's run it back to college. Like you ever have a guy that uh, he, he's interested in a girl and she's interested in someone else. So he'll put down that other guy. That's sure. not doing anything for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's not building up the X three bar, just present, you know, the, the information, the scientific data, the advantages and the disadvantages to the system and leave it as be. So I'm, I'm really a fan of objective individuals who are able to, you know, highlight the the positives of whatever they believe in, whether it's an ideology, whether it's a training system, whether it's a nutritional approach, but they don't discount what the other side or the other team presents. And I feel like that's a huge issue within fitness as a whole because we've gotten into this era of social media where there's Twitter wars and people are on diet tribes and it's like, instead of just presenting, say like on the carnivore diet, instead of just presenting the the advantages to using carnivore like you did, you said, listen, I have gut issues. You know, it's helped with my GI health. It lowered the, the burden that I had on my gastrointestinal issues that I've been dealing with. All well and good. These are the positives. These are some of the potential drawbacks. This is what I didn't enjoy. Um, there's a lot of people within this community where if they are a carnivore dieter, they're a, a keto dieter, a proponent of one of those – approaches, it's there's only positives in that direction of the approach right. they take. And then everything else, if you if you consume carbs, you're you're bad. If you consume vegetables, you're gonna die from you know anti-nutrients. Right. You know, it's it's so <laughs> it's just so zealotrous that it's it kind of sticks out to me and it automatically makes me feel like that person is incredible because they're unable to be open minded enough to accept someone else's point of view. And I think that's if we look at the the most intelligent people in our industry and I would attribute people like your your Dr. Scott Stevenson's of the world, your Eric Helms, your Mike Israetel. These guys are always open to constructive criticism and they're always open to hearing each other out. And even if we look at, like say, in the, uh, the paradigm of training, we look at training volume as a, a metric for progression versus load progression. And we look at this different sides of the camp, you see Eric Helms and Brian Minor versus, you know, hypothetically, you know, versus, you know, Dr. Mike and Jared Feather. These guys both hear each other, each other's sides out and acknowledge the the potential benefits to the other person's side whereas when you take such a hard and fast approach to something and say no the you know weightlifting is bullshit there's no utility in that and my system's the only thing that works or is going to work better i kind of i feel like it discredits you
0: yeah i think um a lot to kind of unravel there i think one of the biggest differences and and when you're communicating with kind of like gen pop is that it's Clear when somebody doesn't have a scientific background, and I don't mean just a scientific background in terms of their knowledge in the science realms, but I mean like the way that you think changes. I think that's one of the advantages. Like when we look at like, you know, a medical doctor, a lot of medical doctors, some people think they have all this knowledge on nutrition, and they don't. And there are plenty of medical doctors who don't know really anything about it. But one thing that I would attribute to them is on average they have a more scientific way of thinking same thing with like researchers even more so probably and so they understand critical thinking and and you like you said you very rarely see somebody where it's completely black or white right and and it's like always this way and when i see somebody in any realm especially with like somebody like where you know the guy is intelligent that's why in my kind of um In my response video, I said he's intelligent enough to know that he's kind of scamming because I see people who will be like you said, they'll say, Oh, it's so great and everything. And they they genuinely believe it, you know, like they just don't have much of a background. They heard about intermittent fasting, they lost weight on it, and say, No, intermittent fasting is always the right answer. It's great because I lost this. And you can just tell, like, you just don't understand. The scientific process that like you know you have to look at various studies you ha- you can't just look at an n equals one and there's a way of thinking but they just don't understand that versus somebody who know you clearly do understand it and you're just kind of manipulating it and that's that's why i felt the the need to make that response video is because i definitely got a lot of comments on that podcast more than like probably anyone i've done in terms of like oh like what's going on with this guest and what's actually really funny is i woke up this morning to like 30 new comments on my response video and like double the view. So like on YouTube, it'll show your view count. It's like goes like this and then it's like a big spike and um, somebody must have shared it in like the X3 Facebook group or something like that. And like, you know, all these like people coming out and some of them, I mean, most of my responses are serious. Sometimes I'm like getting a little bit trolley just because I don't care too much. (laughs) That's an example where like, because I do it as a hobby versus like if I had to be really professional all the time. Um, But with some of them, they come and they say, well, I like X3. And and to be clear, if any of them watch this video, some people are saying like, oh, like you, you didn't try it. Like, how can you even say it? And it's like, that's like saying like, well, I didn't try all vegetables to cure my cancer. So I guess I can't really say that it wouldn't work. It's like, no, like we have research to go on and I'm not you don't have to try everything in the world to have an opinion on it when we have studies on it and we have other people who have used similar things. Um, and so that the whole, like, you can't make a comment until you try it. I, I think is very silly, obviously. Um, but the other thing I would say is that I never would suggest that this doesn't work for people at all. For instance, I have a friend who she hasn't worked out in a while and she, you know, doesn't want to go to the gym right now. She's not comfortable with COVID and everything. And she said, Oh, what do you think about like bands and stuff? And I thought it's actually kind of ironic. Cause I just had this video and I'm like, look, you are an untrained individual. If if she were to get the X3 system or something similar, I'm sure she could progress, right? You have, as I, I don't know if you saw the whole response video, but it's like, yeah, you have mechanical tension or You have loading on the muscles. So you can progress. Is that gonna be better than if you had a full like access to a gym? Probably not. But I'm not saying it doesn't do anything. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I think one of the biggest issues people had with Jaquish was like you said, his stance and his almost like cockiness that you're an idiot if you don't understand the superiority of this system. Um, and then like one final comment on it is, you know, I was talking with Abel and Steve Hall about controversial podcast guests, you know, and, and bringing people on like that. And I said that I'd actually even considered having Jason Blaha on and even talk to him about it. And the reason is, I don't know if you're familiar with Jason, but like, you know, he was a big controversial person a while back, big lawsuit with Lane Noren. I mean, like, and, and he was kind of crazy there for a while. And one of the reasons that I said, like, or in my opinion, is that where he really went wrong is not that he's an idiot. Like, you watch some people and you're like, oh, wow, this person is actually a moron. And like with Jason, that's not the case. I really don't believe that he's just an idiot. But he would have these extreme views, like he was vegan. And he would say how this is, like, enough for everybody. And it would be stupid to eat meat. And then he went to, like, keto. And he was saying how ridiculous. And it's like, dude, like not only have you gone to the extremes, but you've gone to the extremes on both ends. And, and I think whenever you go to the extremes, even in one direction, but especially in both, you're just setting yourself up for you know, some consequences as far as your reception from other people.
1: No, I honestly, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I have a big issue with those that have an influence, whether it be on YouTube, Instagram, any social media platform, and they take that and they take advantage to promote one single-minded ideology. As though everything else, you know, doesn't work, especially in terms of a dietary approach. So you'll see these influencers and with millions of followers, and they're promoting have a cheat meal every day, and it's them shred it with a burger, and it's like my whole thing is I always think critically, and I realize that not everyone does. So in my mind, I'm saying, well, what dietary approach did they have to take to be able to allow them to have a cheat meal that large where it didn't impact their their physique? But most people are looking at that saying. Well, this guy's, you know, and if it fits your macros diet or he incorporates burgers and, and, you know, pints of Ben and Jerry's every day, I can do that too. And we both know that, honestly, that A, that doesn't work. B, we're not, you know, when we're looking at things in that context, we're not considering the genetic, you know, proclivities of that individual, the the enhancements they might be taking, their lifestyle. You know, I know, you know, high level professional bodybuilders and influencers and people that make a full-time profession out of this that they stay so rigid within their diet that the only time that they veer off is when they're doing a food challenge for YouTube. Mm, So it's like you're staying at a deficit all week and no one realizes that. When they see you do a 10,000 calorie challenge, they don't realize that you've been at 1,500 calories the last three weeks previous to that. And that's why it's not negatively impacting their physique. So I always feel like if you're someone that has a level of influence or credibility within this community, it's on you. It's your responsibility to A, put out a good example, and then also B, Especially if you have the knowledge, you cannot claim ignorance and promote something as being the end, the be all end all. If you know that isn't the case, it doesn't take anything away from your argument to acknowledge someone else's, um, you know, validity or or their approach. So we have to realize, like, when it comes to the context of nutrition, there are so many you know approaches that can get you to the same exact end goal. It's just person specific. So if you have you know uh, a proclivity or inclination or a predisposition towards assimilating carbohydrates better because you're an insulin sensitive and uh, individual that has great nutrient partitioning, a high carb approach might work for you. But if you're someone that's endomorphic has poor insulin sensitivity and is on the level of prediabetes, maybe you need to take a higher fat approach. And, but at the same time, just because you realm, you, you lie on one end of the spectrum doesn't mean you discount all the other benefits of the other side. And that's something I have a big issue with, especially with people that do have a large platform and do have, you know, an intellectual background like John Dequeche or like so many of these other guys that have come up in the YouTube communities and proclaimed you know, these outrageous things because they do get a lot of views. So for instance, you made a video you know, going at John Dequeche or, or essentially giving a wrap up and you see that you're getting more publicity or getting more exposure within that video, but you've done a million other good videos that had great information and that was applicable, but it wasn't controversial and it didn't take a stance and it didn't take a side and didn't call anyone out. And unfortunately, those same videos that actually held a lot of relevancy and a lot of applicable information, which is useful for the everyday person, don't get as much exposure and as much limelight as something that's more controversial.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't really tend to do videos on other people too much. I mean, unless there's like, so I did a video on Thomas DeLauer a couple months back and I didn't even know who the guy was. I guess he's got a really big following, but um, I only did it because somebody specifically asked me to do it and so they said can you make a response video to this so i watched it and i didn't really talk much about him i just talked about the idea of intermittent fasting and working out that he was talking about um i haven't put it out yet but i just did a video on dc training and my results with it and like what it's about and dante and where i disagree with it and where i agree with it i don't know how that video is going to do it's not it's not really controversial i mean i state numerous times that i like dante but um you know it's definitely I mean, even Lane talks about this. He's like, you know, when he makes a video, like bashing somebody, you know, he gets twice the views, which um, is unfortunate, but it's not surprising to me. I mean, the reality is people aren't really watching YouTube for just information. I mean, some people are, but it's largely at best infotainment. And a lot of times people just want the entertainment. Um, You know, they have like Greg Doucette is an example where, you know, I don't, think Greg is dumb at all. You know, I think he has some good content. I think a lot of what he says is actually pretty accurate. Um, I don't really watch his videos unless somebody sends one to me. But from what I've seen and heard, he's gotten more and more gimmicky in terms of like how he speaks and like what he makes videos on. But it makes sense because, I mean, the guy used to be a teacher, right? I'm sure that that is not how he was talking to his students. I don't know what level he taught, but I'm sure he was professional and he knows how to have a normal conversation. But on YouTube, he gets tons of good feedback when he's ripping on people and you know shouting and all this stuff like that. And it makes sense. I mean, it's working for him. So I, I do understand it. It's not you know my preference of how I like to do my videos or what I like to watch. But you know he is, again, he's appealing to the average person.
1: No, absolutely. If we, if we look at like the the OGs of YouTube, um, it was guys like Jerry Ward from BioS3. When he initially started making videos about his training methodologies or his dietary approaches, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't blowing up, for instance. But when he started doing that MCT powder and coconut oil was going to kill you, that became like one of his biggest hits. Or when he did all those Natty or Not videos, those were the things that were controversial subjects that brought people to his channel and built that up. And it's, it's the same thing as like the Rich Piano thing. Whenever he did controversial videos, it really built up that following, but at the same time, I feel like that's an indication or that's, that should shed some light on what the general public is about. And Unfortunately, there are people that have a great background and don't stay aligned with what their true intentions were initially, and they veer off the beaten path to provide uh, content that has really zero utility or benefit to the masses, yet it's going to drive more views and give them more income. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to go with what your integrity, you know, what aligns with your integrity. But a lot of times with those type of people, I kind of just write them off and I just stop, you know, paying attention to their con- content because to me, I feel like I'm getting sold on something, which is how I, well, I coming to you. Yeah, it, it also kind of puts
0: you into a little box, right? Because it's like, okay, so you're getting like if Greg set, stopped making his current type of videos and all of a sudden... Started just making like really professional informative videos. He would still have a big following because he's gained such a huge following, but the views would lessen. And so, like just as we're talking, I just pulled up um, BIOS three with Jerry Ward because I remember when Jerry Ward was like just starting. Um, he actually mm-hmm. lived pretty close to me back when I was in dental school. So I'm looking at his most recent videos and 1.8,000, 2,000, 900, 1.9 thousand. So I mean, his views are. A small fraction of what they used to be to the point that I mean, I don't even have like that many views per subscribers. And I have, I think, like 3,700 subscribers. And my average video gets like a thousand views now. So you're talking somebody who has what is like 160,000 subscribers and he's only getting twice as many views as me with like just over 3,000 subscribers. And it just shows that, like, you know, we had a period. I mean, that's very common on YouTube, right? Like, how many people are big on YouTube for? five plus years like almost nobody right I mean you have a couple people but for the most part they you know they got a couple of years where it's really big and then it drops off um and and so you know now I mean again I've watched the videos but I'm looking at these titles and it's like looks like he's talking about like politics and and you know whatever like it's it's just not the same thing if he did a natty or not video maybe it would blow up but how long is that sustainable so um when I think of like the content I want to do yeah maybe I could get like a spike if I started being really controversial and, and doing all this crazy stuff but it, am I going to maintain that for, like, five years? I, I don't want to. So, again, you'd be kind of putting yourself in that box.
1: No, absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, like, I mean, we've talked a lot about the fitness scene and influences and, and all that, but when I first had you on, actually, you know, you are talking about influencers and, like, they're low-calorie, and then they do this big challenge. I kind of experienced that, you know, when I finished my cut. That's actually how you and I really started getting into the conversations, which was I was absolutely. having – two big refeeds a week. And I was able to maintain on that. But it sucked, man. I mean, like three or four days a week. I'm just constantly thinking about food. It really it wasn't a pleasant way to go about it. Um, So as far as like what you do, I know we talked about you staying lean year round. Have you found that that's gotten easier over time? I don't mean from like psychological discipline. But I mean, like physically, do you feel less hungry now? I don't know how long you've been maintaining this leanness. I'm guessing like Mm -hmm. it's been years. Is it any easier now? It's gotten harder with age? What have you found?
1: So it's, it's very dependent on my lifestyle. So what I find in terms of my appetite regulation is the biggest, um, determining factors, the biggest influences are my sleep quality and duration, and then also my stress level. So it's things that a lot of times, and and I try to educate people on this a lot. It's not only the, the variables within training nutrition that impact how nutrition impacts, you know, your your physique and your physiology, but it's also all the other factors within your lifestyle. So I noticed that, you know, I always have to monitor my stress levels, my sleep management, things of that sort, and realize that if I get an extended period of time, like we were we always talk about before we get on the podcast how busy we both are running multiple businesses, very little sleep, things of that sort. So when I have periods that I'm traveling on the road or, you know, I, I run two businesses between a national level supplement company as well as an online nutrition uh, coaching business. When I have periods of time that I'm going extended periods of time with little to no sleep, my appetite, my ability to regulate my appetite is completely skewed. So at those points, you know, due to you know insufficient sleep and insufficient recovery, I'm more likely to have um, like more of a disinhibition effect. So it's hard to stay psychologically on the diet because I'm craving things, and it's more out of hunger and this skewed leptin and ghrelin signaling than it is based on the caloric intake in and of itself. But I have found that. All in all, when I manage my variables properly, so my my training volume is right where it needs to be in terms of being, you know, below my maximum recoverable volume and I'm right at maximum adaptable volume. Um, my intake is is where it should be for maintenance. So for me, maintenance is about 32 to 3,400 calories. Um, and then also my sleep and my You're stress like 190s, management, right? I'm like 210, 215. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh dieted down last time i was on stage i was 20 205 oh wow okay. yeah on stage mm-hmm. so um 190s when i first started competing we had we had actually spoke about that 2015 i was like in the 190s when i first started competing Okay. um however when i have all the variables and they're all lined up and they are being properly managed my appetite is easy to monitor so i'm able to stay lean it's I wouldn't say easy because it's always being consistent, but because I have that dietary adherence and all this experience having been doing this for, you know, dieting seriously for six years, it is easier to adhere to the program to sustain that level of low body fat. But, you know, stress comes into life, the lack of sleep, it throws a wrench into things. And I notice that I'm getting much hungrier on the same amount of calories. So I'm always, you know, that's why I don't believe in it's just the calories in versus calories out equation because there are things within your hormones that if you aren't sleeping adequately, if you aren't managing stress, if your cortisol levels are elevated, all of a sudden it's down-regulating thyroid production. Um, You know, it could lower testosterone production. So now you're the other side of the calories in calories out equation is the hormone balance equation. So when you skew that through, improper lifestyle management, or just the fact that you're busy. You know, I, I work with a lot of high level, you know, type a business professionals within my coaching business. And I see that they're getting three to four hours of sleep, but they want to optimize, you know, their body composition that doesn't correlate with one another. So really what it's come down to is, is being able to keep everything as optimized as possible. Now I'm not going to sit here and preach as though I'm, I'm perfect with it, but I do my best at every single day to line up every variable that I can as optimally as possible so that I can stay lean and that it isn't such a sacrifice because to have stayed this lean over this extended period of time. And if I was to do so in a manner where I was suffering day in and day out, it would, it would lead to cognitive decline. You know, I wouldn't be as, as coherent in terms of my day-to-day responsibilities and functions. It would impede my training quality and my, my training performance, which to me is, is the number one thing in terms of, you know, enhancing my physique. And then also it would impact me psychologically to the point that eating the food that I eat on a daily basis wouldn't be as attractive. It wouldn't be as satiating. And then it wouldn't be as enjoyable as a process. So I'm very into you know, dialing myself into the process and doing something that is adherable and is sustainable, but at the same time yields me to the results that I'm looking for. So I don't veer off my diet frequently. I do a once weekly that we've spoken about uh, refeed yeah. day where it's a high day and I do incorporate an off off-plane meal as my last meal of the day. But if it came down to the point where I couldn't have that weekly high day, where I enjoy a date night with my, my girlfriend, I I don't know if I would still do it. And I don't know if being lean would be something that would be, it would be a cost to benefit or cost to, you know, benefit ratio for me that I'd have to weigh out.
0: Yeah. So when you say, like, I think when it comes to body composition, obviously there is more to it than just calories, but are you saying you don't follow the whole calories and calories out thing or can you elaborate? Oh, no, no,
1: no. So, no, I completely follow, you know, the law of thermodynamics, we're not, you're not creating energy where you're destroying it. So that is a key fundamental process. I am tracking my calories. I am tracking my macros. I generally, I follow a meal plan because it's much easier for me to adhere to just in terms of a scheduling perspective because I do travel quite often. So eating the same five meals per day just works for, best for me. But if I was at home, you know, most of the week, I would probably interchange um, different options and things of that sort. I do do rotations between my vegetables. So I make sure that every single day I'm rotating between different vegetable sources to get a different micronutrient profile, but I stick to pretty much the same meals day in and day out. But with that being said, I am tracking my calories. I am making sure that I fall within my 32 to 3400 calories. And I want to put a caveat on that. The reason that I say that it's, it's a a window essentially between 32 and 3400 calories is we can look at like the Mifflin St. George equation to find your maintenance calories. And that'll give you this, this very, you know, thought out, you know, figure. But in my opinion, and I I have, you know, interacted with a lot of people that share this opinion, maintenance is a roaming range because your maintenance value, you know, some people are like, listen, it only be, it's either 3,200 or 3,400. Well, if I'm not gaining or losing weight at 3,200, but I'm not gaining or losing weight at 3,400, I'm right within that spectrum or that window. And it's based on my daily activity. So we have to consider my neat levels, my, um, you know, my thermic effective feeding. We have to consider, uh, my basal metabolic rate. We have to th- consider my eat, my exercise activity, thermogenesis, what I'm burning in the gym. So there's many components that make up that maintenance level value. So I'm staying within that window and I do believe in calories versus calories out. But when I hear people promote the idea that it's only seco that, that matters, it's only calories in versus calories out. And if you're, you know, there is the argument that if you're not losing weight, it could be due to a lack of dietary adherence. It could be due to miscalculations. We even see that dietitians are between 30 and 40% off on their own estimations of their calories. Um, that is very true and it's, it's research backed. But at the same time, we have to realize that there are inputs that we put into our system that negatively impact our hormonal balances. So say that we're not optimizing sleep quality, we're not optimizing stress mitigation and our stress within our lifestyle, and they're impacting things like our thyroid production. So our ability to convert T4 to metabolically active T3 or our leptin secretion or our ghrelin hormone, because now we're, we're losing sleep quality our ghrelin's going up um, or even our testosterone values. If those things are off, they're going to impact your ability to utilize the calories that you are taking in for daily activity. And as well as utilize them to be burned off as fuel to stay at that lean level. So I believe you have to value both, both factors of the equation. You have to consider calories in versus calories out. You need to nail that. That should be the fundamental basis to any diet, whether it's a you're trying to grow lean tissue. You're trying to maintain like I'm usually doing where you're trying to, you know, go into a fat loss phase and, and rid yourself of adipose tissue. But at the same time, you have to consider that the rest of your lifestyle, if it was just about nutrition, it was just about calories in versus calories out. It wouldn't matter how we train. It wouldn't matter how we live their lifestyle. It wouldn't matter the other 23 hours of, of the day, you know, and that's sure. things I'm always trying to consider.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, and I just wanted to point that out because you know, it's funny. I didn't actually realize. So I, uh, When i take like personality tests or anything like that like there's only a few that are like actually validated like i don't know if you're familiar with like the big five personality test um and my agreeableness is like fifth percentile or something like that (laughs) so (laughs) i can see that yeah which i guess like isn't that surprising you know what it's funny when i first saw that result i was like what like i'm totally agreeable and then I (laughs) i realized like i'm definitely not because when i hear something that i really believe is wrong i do have a hard time letting it go Um, And I think that is, you know, one of the compliments I've gotten on the podcast is that like I don't if I if somebody says something, I'm like, "Uh," like, I usually call it out. And it's not like to try to be a jerk or anything. It's just like, well, like, let's see if we actually agree there. And so, um, you know, right there was a good example where it's like, I obviously know you're educated and you understand, like, you know, the whole law of thermodynamics. And so when you said, oh, like, it's not just calories in, calories out. I wanted to stop to make sure and clarify because I know people are going to hear that and think like, oh, does this guy think calories don't matter? When it's like, obviously you do, but I would totally agree with you. There are other factors in terms of like, you know, you might lose a similar amount of weight in a certain deficit, but then you're not factoring, obviously, the macronutrients matter, obviously, sleep quality, I mean, there are definitely studies out there showing the huge importance of sleep and how much more fat versus lean tissue is lost when somebody is sleep deprived versus when they have adequate sleep. I mean, there are a lot of other factors. So, you know, when I'm talking to people and saying it's, it's just about calories, it's like, well, that's the most important factor in most cases. But I'm also assuming that like you have the basics handle that you're not getting like three hours of sleep that you're not eating like 0.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. You know what I mean? Like you're being reasonable. So then yeah, calories are hugely important, but there are other things that make a big difference for sure.
1: No, without a doubt. And a lot of times I used to make, more, you know, I, I used to make assumptions when I would have clients come to me that they understood these general and these very low level, low hanging fruit principles. But now I realize I really have to be very intentional when I make comments. So, so it's good that you stopped me. It, calories are a hundred percent, the fundamental, if we're looking at something as a pyramid, that would be the, the foundation to the pyramid would be calories in versus calories out. But there's so many, you know, bricks that stack on top of that, that we have to consider because that's the only way we can, we could truly optimize our ability to make progress, whether it be in a fat loss context or a muscle building context. And it can't just be, you know, I have clients that will come to me and say, hey, listen, I'm I'm staying adherent to my diet. Dude, but you're sleeping three to four hours a night. You're stressed through the roof. You're not managing your stress. You're you're eating in a highly sympathetic state. So you have gut issues. You know, your digestive health is is terrible. So it doesn't Yes, does it matter that you're adhering to the calorie intake that you should be or your calorie allotment? Yes, but it's not working as efficiently as it could if you optimize all those other variables. So it is about optimizing many variables within the context of your lifestyle to optimize your your results.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, even just recently the last month or so and I definitely, I mean, it's it's pretty well known that like a lot of like gut issues, whether it's IBD or IBS are related to stress and um just the last two weeks so i told you i'm kind of between jobs right now um basically so i left one place i started looking at other practices and i actually worked it out so i'm basically paid for like an entire month that i'm taking off which is great um yeah but the thing is like you'd think like oh i could just like lounge around it's like dude like not at all like I, i mean first of all it's just not my personality like literally the next day i was calling like five different brokers, like I was just like looking into all these different things. That's just, I can't, I'm just not the type of person just like sit down and not do anything, you know? Um, so the next day, like I was on all these calls and I was, I wouldn't say I was like really stressed, but I was working probably at just as hard, if not harder and, you know, making new connections and looking at different practices that I might want to buy or, you know, buy into. Um, and so the last like two weeks or so, because I haven't had a set schedule, I've been going to sleep at like 10 and then waking up at like seven, like nine hours of sleep a night, which is like very rare for me ever. So to be able to do that for like a week or two weeks on end, and like I'm waking up and like my gut has just felt so much better. I've gotten like a PR and a workout when I'm otherwise just eating at maintenance. I mean, there's a very tangible effect and that's on me after 16 years of lifting, right? So if you're still in like a growth phase, I mean, that could be the difference between, you know, three or six pounds of muscle in a year
1: in theory. No, absolutely. Actually, it's funny that you're marked on that. I'm in the opposite situation right now. Uh, I don't know when this will get published, but we're right before Black Friday and Thanksgiving. We're mm-hmm. a week out. Oh, and Black yeah. Friday is the mm-hmm. biggest sale period for sports nutrition. So the last... Um, this whole week, we're on Thursday, we're actually at Friday now, this whole week, I've been working like 16 hour days to the point that I'm falling asleep on my laptop every night. Like I work my full day for my job because I, I cover national accounts. So I not only have, you know, our East Coast, but I'm working with, you know, the West Coast accounts that are three hours back. So, you know, when they're still open at six, seven o'clock, it's 10 o'clock here. So I'm still answering them. And then at night I work on my online clients, but I've noticed that I've had to skip meals because the first couple of days, that I was eating in a stress state, just having gotten off a sales call or a conference call or something of that sort, You know, I wasn't digesting things properly. So it got to the point yesterday, I made a post. I ate my first meal at, at 5.30 a.m. before I went to the gym and then I didn't have my next meal till 2.30. And in the past, that would stress me out like you couldn't believe yeah. You know that I'm, mixing, I'm, I'm missing adequate protein distribution, I'm not hitting my post-workout meal timing, I'm not taking you know, advantage of glute four translocation post-workout. But when I got right out of my workout, I had three back to back calls that took me over an hour. So by the time I got done with that and I had gotten home from the gym, I was in a, in a place where I had another meeting coming up. I had to get on Zoom. So it was either slam down a meal and try to choke it down and get on that call and, and realize that my, my digestion is going to be impeded or wait till I was in more of a parasympathetic state where I'm going to be, you know, more in a rest and digest state where I'm going to be able to optimize the absorption of those nutrients. So it took a few hours. I eventually got that meal in, but I had to push everything back because a lot of people don't realize the effects that stress has on your autonomic nervous system, which has downstream effects, everything else to your sleep quality, to your digestion, to your absorption and assimilation of nutrients. So even like our blood glucose, you'll look at, for instance, I always track fasted glucose. A poor night of sleep will skew that pretty significantly. Like There's times that I have less than six hours of sleep and my fasted glucose levels are up 10 to 15 nanograms per deciliter in the morning, you know, so it's, it's significant. So those are things that I feel like a lot of people don't look at. And it's not that you have to dive into that nuance of the uh, an analytical viewpoint of your physique progress, but just realize that there are things outside of, of the vectors of nutrition and training that need to be managed, that need to be paid attention to. You don't have to track every analytic, but just realize, Hey, if I'm in a stress state, maybe I should wait a little bit. Maybe I should do some box breathing. Maybe I should get in a parasympathetic state. You know, if I'm lacking sleep and I'm realizing it's impacting my recovery and it's, it's going on in a prolonged period of time, maybe I should do a deload. Maybe I should take a day off of a gym. And I'm, I'm always trying to get across to people, you know, especially clients, that it's okay to auto-regulate things, whether it's your nutrition or your training, because that's going to end up helping you more so than hurting you.
0: Sure. So, uh, yeah, I know you are crazy busy now, so I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, I want to wrap up asking, so I just had, you know, Paul Canoe? Um,
1: yeah, he just turned pro.
0: Yeah, just went pro. So I was just talking to him last night, I just did a podcast I probably released in like a week or two. And I asked him about like muscular measurements because it's one of those things where it's like, we all know that when you get on a bodybuilding stage and cares about like your caliper, skin folds, anything like that. Nobody cares how big your arms measure. It's about how you look. Right. Having said that, I actually, I do like to know the measurements in one part. I'm sure there's like a comparison, like, Oh, like, how does that compare to me? Kind of a thing. But also I think sometimes it can give people perspective because, you know, somebody will say this person has like, what's his name? Um, I'm blanking on his name, but there's a guy who does, he's doing like marathon running now, big dude, uh, Shaw, not, what's his name? Seth Shaw? No, um, his username is like bend the bar man, I'm blanking on him, he's like, he used to work with Mark Lobliner, um, what the heck is his name? I don't know, anyway, he was saying like, he's like one of the only guys he knows that was like, you know, out of all these like YouTubers, everybody has like these kind of like fake stats, and he was saying, you know, when you actually meet them, like you realize it's different, so do you know, as far as like your muscular measurements, like, Let's say chest, arms, and waist. Any idea offhand?
1: No. So I've actually never measured my arms, and my chest, ever. I was always nope. What I was, kind of was bro, very, are you, man? So I didn't take <laughs> I, I didn't take that much of a bro approach. I was always a big fan of photos, and I speak about this often. The yeah. first books that I read when I came up in bodybuilding, besides um, you know Arnold's Encyclopedia, were all books by Frank Zane, and he was more of a fan. That obviously being a smaller statured you know bodybuilder from the seventies, the golden era. He was more about not the size of a muscle, but how it looked. So he was all about progress pictures. So I did everything through photos to the point that up until last year, actually up until this year when COVID hit, I would drive back over an hour back home to the original gym that I started training in every week during a diet to get the same lighting and same shots. And I never posted them. But I have an accumulation of 12 or 13 years of those photos. So it was always very photo dependent. The one thing I will say that I did measure was I always had to measure my waist to get custom board shorts because yeah. I am tall. So I would have to make sure right. I had those measurements. And I'm not genetically blessed when it comes to uh, muscular insertions or waist. I think the lowest mine got down to was 30.5 inches. and I'm six foot two, a little bit under six two. And now so, like at the navel. Yeah. And that was, I mean, completely dialed in, water depleted. Yeah. Um, the morning of a show. So yeah. I would say probably year round, I'm about 31, 32. Cause I don't mm-hmm. get that much, you know, that much heavier. As like I said, my stage weight, I'm probably five to 10 pounds off year round. Um, but it's not, it's not something that impressive. There are guys that, you know, you I've met Jeremy Bundia before I flew him out for an event one year, years ago. Um, and he was a 27 inch waist. I mean, th- that's God given.
0: Yeah. That stuff is freaking out. what, what I was saying to Paul is, so my arms are like the biggest, my arms ever were when I was like two fifteen, was like 17 and a half, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm like in the one nineties now. So now they're like maybe 16 and a half and like, they're fine. You know, it's nothing like super impressive, but I, if I could like change one thing structurally, it would be the waist because I have a blockier waist for sure. And probably, I guess we're probably similar. So when I was dieted down this past time to probably the leanest I've been, I was at like, I was in the 31s, maybe 31 and a half or Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, but you know, you get way leaner than I do. And you were talking about what like completely like depleted. So if I was like doing a show depleted, maybe I'd see like 31 or something like that, but it's definitely a block your waist versus, you know, like Paul canoe fully dyed it down. He's around 27 inches. Um, What's his name? Jared Feather, who's actually, he's not short. Like Paul is on the shorter side. Jared Feather's like, I think 5'11 or something like that. And I think he said he also gets into like the 27-inch
1: range. I'm like, dude, wow. that is Paul,
0: ridiculous.
1: I mean, Jared looks incredible. He's about to compete at nationals. It's Friday. He'll compete tomorrow. He looks okay. phenomenal. So I wish him the best of luck. I hope he gets that pro card like Paul did.
0: Yeah, yeah. it, it It's insane when you see that. But uh, it definitely, you know, obviously it just shapes everything well.
1: But buy a tape measure and get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I will. No worries. But we have to remember that it's this is genetic, you know, you know, pre, uh, proclivities that we're we're all you know predisposed to. So a lot of times when people will come to me with with the comments about their waist being wide, we build everything else up. So you know, we go Do for a larger, yeah, a larger V structure. We we try to accentuate different body parts, whether it be your deltoids or your back. And that's honestly, we all know is an illusion. So judges aren't you know judging you off of circumferences and waist measurements, which is right. why I, I never prioritized it.
0: Sure. Yeah. And it makes sense for you. I mean, you do photo shoots, you compete. It's all about the look for you. So it totally makes sense. So where can people find more of your stuff, man? Obviously I'll have a link to your Instagram, anything else you want.
1: Awesome. So yeah, uh, you guys can find me at uh, both Instagram and Facebook at Brandon Cruz on Instagram. That'll be at Brandon Cruz underscore. And uh, anytime you guys need any, uh, any information or have any questions, feel free to inbox me. Always willing to, to share some information and try to educate people.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, dude.
1: Absolutely. Later, brother.